This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. If you'll remember, Peter is talking about the return of the Lord. Last week in chapter 3, in verse 1 and 2, he basically said that he was writing to remind us to remember what the holy prophets had predicted about the end and that the command of Jesus to watch for it. And then in verse 3, he said the reason he wanted us to do this was because scoffers are going to show up. And those scoffers are going to come in claiming that Jesus' return is just a myth. It's been so long. The world has just gone around and around and around the sun for thousands of years. This whole thing about Jesus coming back, it's a, it's a myth. Now, in order to understand where Peter goes from here, what I want you to see is that these scoffers have actually brought up two issues. Two issues. And structurally speaking, Peter has marked out those two issues with the word beloved and the word overlooked. If you look in verse 1, he said, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And then that first issue, he says in verse 4, They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? Verse 5, For they deliberately overlook the first section. And then in verse 8, where we are today, he says again, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. So there's two issues. The first issue is whether or not there will be a day of the Lord at all. Whether it's actually going to happen. That final day promised in Scripture when, when our Lord will return in judgment. Is that day going to happen at all? And this is what Peter confronted last week. He said, to, he said basically those scoffers claim this final day isn't coming because the earth has continued around and around and around. But Peter said in verse 5, they overlooked this one important fact that God's already proved he'll do this with the flood. The earth has not just continued around and around and around. It's already been judged once. That's the first issue. Peter's saying there will be a final day of the Lord. There will be a final day when he comes to judge, and the Lord's already proved he'll do it. The second issue is what Peter's going to address this morning. And that second issue the scoffers bring up is this. If there is going to be a day of the Lord, then why has he delayed so long? If there is going to be a final judgment, then why is it taking so long? You know, one of the things that just about everyone on both sides of the aisle can't stand about politicians is they seemingly have, they're incapable of answering a question. <clears throat> what is the nature of your relationship with that woman? Well, it depends on what your definition of is is. You know what I mean. They, they, you ask a question, a very direct, simple question to ask, answer, and they just go around and around and talk about everything else until they're comfortable that you forgot what the question was. But our God isn't like that. He isn't afraid to answer difficult questions with clear answers. So let's just be honest. Jesus said, I will return soon. The famous words of Inigo Montoya. You keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. I think my definition and Jesus' definition of soon is different. Because 2,000 years later isn't soon to me. I'm sure it's not to you either, so why has the Lord delayed? This is the second accusation that these false teachers have brought up about the delay of the Lord, and it's an accusation that needs an answer. 
And that's what Peter's going to do this morning. He's going to give us that answer. However, just because we ask the question doesn't mean God is going to give us the answer we want. He's going to give us the answer we need. He's going to give us the truth. He's not afraid to give us the truth. And when it comes to answering why the Lord has not yet returned, the honest answer is it's not God's definition of soon that needs changing. You see, we know nothing other than this life. The length of our life determines how we view time. Where the location and the experiences of this life is how we view that time. And the people we know during this lifetime determines how we view humanity during this life. We are creatures, not creators. We are finite, not infinite. Which means that our lives are the only context we have to measure anything else. For example, if like us, you lived in, in, the, in the 21st century Western culture, chances are you probably have a, a relatively good perspective or view of life because you've lived in a relatively peaceful, secure, uh, well-being kind of environment. And you've had very little contact with death or, death or evil. So you have a relatively good view of life. However, if you lived in the Dark Ages, or, or even if you lived in a third world country in the 21st century, you have a completely different view of life and time and people. Because you've, set, you, you've lived a life full of death and struggle and pain and hardship. In other words, it's this concept of relativity that Peter is going to address this morning in answering that question about our Lord's delay. Meaning the answer to the second issue of why the Lord hasn't returned, it isn't because He's distracted. It isn't because He's waiting for us to do something, and it certainly isn't because He doesn't exist. The answer to why the Lord has not yet returned is because our Lord is not like us. Our Lord is not like us. And Peter's going to tell us this morning that the reason it seems the Lord is slow in coming is because we're using the wrong measuring tape. We're basing our calculations on flawed assumptions. It seems like the Lord is delayed in returning because our finite experience determines how we define sooner and later. But our Lord is not like us. That's what I want to remind you of this morning. I want us to remember that our Lord is not like us. And Peter's going to explain that in three ways. Three verses in three different ways that our Lord is not like us. In verse 8, he's going to explain that our Lord's nature is different. In verse 9, he's going to tell us our Lord's patience is different. And then in verse 10, he's going to explain to us our Lord's day is also different. Our Lord's nature, our Lord's patience, and His day are all different from us. Look at verse 8. I want you to see how Peter explains that our Lord is not like us because His nature is different. Again, jumping to this second issue, he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now just to be clear, this expression <clears throat> that a thousand years is a day, it's, it's, it's hyperbole, it's not a mathematical equation. This isn't some kind of like divine dog ears that we can calculate. How much. We shouldn't take this equation and transpose it onto other places like Genesis 1 and just assume that that means that God took thousands of years to create the world. 
In fact, Psalm 90 says that a thousand years to God is, is like a night watch. And in that case, a night watch was usually about three hours. So this is just a, a metaphor that God doesn't view time the same way that we do. In truth, the first answer to this question of why our Lord has delayed, it's, it's one that strains our ability to comprehend because it has to do with time. And we are creatures of time. You see, God doesn't live in time like we do. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't experience time in some way. And it also doesn't mean that God is very, very old. Because age is all a basis of a beginning. It simply means that our Lord is not like us. His nature is different. He's eternal. The point is that we assume too much when we think our Lord experiences time the same way we do. When in fact, there never was a time that our God was not. And there never will be a time that He will not be. Think about one of your big family vacations. Perhaps you spent years saving, months planning, weeks getting ready, days preparing, and, and you spent hours packing. And then like 23 minutes after you rolled out of the driveway, one of the kids said, are we there yet? For adults, you know, several hours in a car, it's not that big of a deal. But for younger kids, it's like cruel and unusual punishment. That's because of the difference in how we view time. Maybe the best illustration might come from the, the uh, theological reflections of Brad Paisley in his country song. If I could write a letter to me. It's a song about how he would like to write a letter to himself at 17 and he could tell himself as a boy, you know, to study more and focus harder and not be so uptight about, you know, inconsequential things. Anyway, the chorus in this song, it repeats. He says, And oh, you got so much going for you going right, but I know at 17 it's hard to see past Friday night. That's the truth, isn't it? It was for me. Maybe you guys were good teenagers. In other words, these scoffers that are claiming that the Lord is taking too long to return... They're like a three-year-old asking, are we there yet? Or a teenager basing all their important life decisions on Friday night. It's short-sighted. Our Lord's nature is different from ours. He views time differently because our Lord is different from us. However, there's more to the difference of our Lord's nature than just how we view time. There's another factor that affects how we view time. At some point in your life, I know you've had an experience you wished would never end. Maybe a vacation, uh, uh, some special time with somebody, a movie, a sporting event. Something that you did not want to end. And, and likewise, I'm sure you've also had one of those experiences that was so boring it would never end. Sitting there on the last day of school and listening to your English teacher drone on about how important it is that you read over the summer. Blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, oh my God, is it still 40 minutes left in this class? In other words, doesn't joy and excitement or, or boredom and, and, and sorrow, doesn't that affect how we view time? Isn't it true that, it, that an experience that is joyful or exciting, it seems to end in a flash, while experiences that are, that are sad or, or boring, it feels like the clock fell in molasses? If that's the case, then how would that clock look to God? 
who is infinitely joyful and excited about everything he does. A never-ending, eternal experience of joy and pleasure and excitement and happiness that is completely unrestrained by sin or time or age. What would time look like to that God? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God is distracted from us by, by something more exciting. I'm saying think for a minute what it will be like to spend time with a God who's so joyful that a thousand years flies by like a day. Our God is not like us. His nature is different. Look at verse 9 where Peter also says our Lord's patient. Patience is different. He says the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now there's some controversy surrounding this verse. Some would say that this verse is proof that God doesn't choose who believes because it says He wishes that everyone would believe. They, they say, how could He want everyone to believe if He's already chosen who He wanted to believe? And then others on the other side would say, well, that word all simply means that, that God wishes that all of those He chose would believe and not all. So which, which is it? What does this verse say? Is God in heaven saying, I, I really wish more people would believe and repent? So we can end this thing, and I mean, we still have some vacancies here in the New Jerusalem that we need to get filled. Is he, is he pining and wringing his hands over wanting everyone to believe, but he's incapable of achieving it? What does this passage say about God's sovereignty? Well, the simple answer is this verse doesn't say anything about God's sovereignty. It's talking about his patience and mercy. Listen, we have to understand that God's desire, His true desire, is for all people to come to know Him. There's a free offer of the gospel. But in no way does that detract from His sovereignty. If God's not sovereign over every single molecule in the universe, then He's not sovereign. We ought to be careful with verses like this because we, we take a little piece of it and we use it for a completely different argument than it was originally intended. This is not the focus of this verse. The focus of this verse is not this universal principle. It's this extremely personal sentiment of patience. Peter is saying that God is patient toward you on your account as an individual. Not this collective group of people. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a mid-20th century a preacher told a story about God's patience toward a man named William Thomas. William Thomas was a traveling fish salesman in England, and he was sitting at this pub one night at this, where, where he would always travel through and eat every week. And he overheard this other group of men talking about last Sunday night's sermon. And what really stuck to him was this one man said, yeah, I heard that too. He said, um, I was there last Sunday night, and that preacher said nobody was hopeless. He said there was, was hope for everybody. And William said he couldn't stop thinking about this. He described how it just kept gnawing at him. 
Till finally he said, you know what, I'm going to go to that chapel and see for myself what that preacher says. So that, that first Sunday evening that he came back through that town, he went to that chapel, and as he walked through the, the gate at the front of the yard, he just stood there trying to get up the nerve to go into this chapel until his nerves failed and he left. Then the second Sunday evening he showed up, only to find that he could hear singing and, and he had gotten there late. And then the third Sunday evening he showed up, Again, standing just inside this gate, trying to get up the nerve to go in until this woman said, aren't you coming in? Come on, why don't you come sit with me? And that night, William described how he went from death to life in faith in Christ. You see, Miss Lloyd-Jones had given him just the bump he needed to walk into those doors. But what would have happened if after that first week God had said, you know, that's it, I'm done. Because that, that question can be asked for every single person in this room. What if our Lord had said He was done before you believed? He didn't. Not as a collective whole, but thinking about each one of you individually said, no, not yet. I want him. I want her. I'm not coming back yet. Our Lord patiently waited for almost everyone in this room to believe because our Lord's patience is so different than ours. But the truth still holds. Listen, he is still waiting patiently for some of you in this room to believe young and old. And to you I say, if you've ever had any doubt about who our Lord is, think about who Peter is describing here. If you're listening this morning and, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, think about what our Lord has patiently endured just for you. Not you, this audience, you as an individual person, he thinks of your name and your character. And he's waiting just so you could be here this morning to hear this good news. Our world wants to say that our God is unjust and uncaring and unmerciful. Yet just a few decades after, after our Lord went back to heaven, all of his disciples save one were mocked and tortured and executed, and yet he still did not bring his wrath. For millennia, his people have been tortured and persecuted and maimed and martyred, and still he holds it back. There's even those who call themselves Christians who have wrongly used his name to justify murder and conquest, and still he holds it back. Just in the 20th century, there were an estimated number between 100 to 130 million deaths just from genocide, just from dictators and tyrants, and still he held back his wrath. And since 1980, listen to me, since 1980, there have been an estimated 1.6 billion abortions worldwide. Billion with a B. And still he holds back his wrath, waiting for some to believe. Why? Why would he wait to not punish all this evil? 
It's because our Lord isn't like us. His patience is different. He's patiently waiting for you to believe on His grace and forgiveness. I beg you not to turn your back on a God like this. He is so mercifully patient that He has endured millennia of atrocities so that you could believe in the good news that He died to pay the debt of sin that you cannot pay. Friend, there's a question I would ask you to ponder, and that is why wouldn't you give your life to a God like that? Because here's the thing. Our Lord is, is not like us. His nature is different. His patience is different. But there is a day coming. The day of our Lord. A day when He will finally be finished. A day when He will return. And just like His nature and just like His patience, our Lord's day is different as well. Look at verse 9. Or 10, excuse me. <clears throat> he said, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Now this verse, it has so much prophetic, apocalyptic imagery, it can be difficult to distinguish between what is metaphor and what is reality. So there are, are, are two things here that I want to make certain that you see. First... <clears throat> However it looks, the day of the Lord will be different because it will be a surprise. Now, I know we have surprises in our life. You get home and your teenagers did the dishes and you're like, oh my God, what happened? Right? We have, we have surprises. That's not what Peter is describing here. The sun rising is not a surprise to us. The moon and the stars shining, it's not a surprise to us. Trees growing and rain falling and the earth spinning, that's not a surprise to us. But borrowing from Jesus' words, Peter says the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. I don't know about you, but I've been robbed. It's horrible. The one thing that every victim of robbery has in common is you didn't see him coming. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been robbed. That's the point. You just went about your life in normal fashion. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 36, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so he's talking about right before the flood. He says, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were doing all of these normal, unsurprising things, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were what? Unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, the day of the Lord will be a surprise because we'll think it's going to be like every other ordinary day. Did you wake up this morning expecting the sun to rise? You would have been surprised if God came back. Our day of our Lord is different. That leads to the second thing. It's different about our Lord, and that's specifically what is going to be different about this day. Look in verse 10 in the second half. He says, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done in it will be exposed. 
In other words, on the day of our Lord, the sun won't rise, the stars won't shine, the trees won't grow, and the rain won't fall. All those normal things that we expect every day are not going to happen. Look at the certainties in verse 10. The heavens will pass away. The heavenly bodies will be burned. All the works of the, wor of the earth will be exposed. The, the heavens there that he describes in the beginning, that's actually the Greek word for sky, the blue sky that we have. In other words, he's saying in an instant, with a loud noise, with a roar, the sky is going to be rolled up, like somebody letting go of one of those old window blinds. Just gone. Not here anymore. That's going to freak you out. And, and what my Bible translates as heavenly bodies, or your translation might say the elements, it's literally the Greek word for order, or orderly. What Peter's saying is that the natural order, the, the fabric of our existence, the, the elements, the basic elements that make up our universe, they're instantly going to be dissolved in fire. And finally, this is the interesting thing. Peter says that every work on earth will be exposed. Every intention, every motivation, every purpose or aim or objective, all of that is going to be exposed. Mankind will no longer be able to conceal their intentions. But what's interesting is this. How is that possible if the sky is gone and, and the elements have been dissolved? That's the point. The earth as we know it will cease to exist, but existence will not. It's kind of like what Peter or Jesus was saying about the flood. The flood wiped the earth clean, but there was still existence. Simply put, there will be no place to hide on, our, on the Lord's day. Every work and intention of the hearts of mankind will be exposed to the white-hot presence of of the Lord of hosts. Our Lord is not like us. His nature, His patience, and His day are all different than ours. There's one more thing about that day I want you to remember. One more thing about that day of our Lord that I want to remind us of. God is not counting the days. For Him there is just a day. A day that will come after the last person in the book of life believes. And our Lord is focused on that day. Scripture is very clear. He is anticipating and, and expecting and eager and waiting and even preparing for that day. So here's the question for us this morning that I want to leave with you. Are you? Is that day that God is so focused on, is that a day that you are focused on? Is that day set before you like a beacon toward which you are running? Or is that just one more thing, one more way in which our Lord is different from you? In Philippians chapter 3, speaking about his desire to be like Christ, Paul said he counted everything as loss. He says that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, he says, or, or am already perfect, but he says, I press on to make it my goal. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and then straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Then he says, let those of us who are mature think this same way. That's Paul's attitude toward this day. Is the day of the Lord the prize for which you are straining forward? Does it determine where and how and why you go to work? Does it, does it shape how you do your parenting? Is it the single motivation for what and how and why you live your life? Because it needs to be. I mean, I can understand a believer putting this day out of their head. I can totally understand that because for them it's going to be a day of, of, of reckoning, terrifying reckoning. But for us, the day of the Lord should be our focus. Why? Because it will be the day that we will finally get to see the one who we love so much. The one who gave his life for us. Listen, it's the day that our Lord will not be so different from us. Listen, brothers and sisters, the day of the Lord is when he will complete his work of transformation in us and it's coming a glorious day it'll be the day that he burns off all the sin and the guilt that clings so close to us and keeps us separate from him it'll be the day we are permanently rid of fear and doubt it'll be the day we join him in his everlasting joy and happiness that makes millennia pass by like days Remember that our Lord is not like us, but remember that will not, will not always be the case. There is a day coming when our world, along with our sinful bodies, will be remade to be with Him. How could we anticipate any other day as much as that?